0: One of the things that's on everybody's mind is the current situation in the country and rightfully so review it quickly the Wu flu has made a big ding in the U.S. economy hasn't destroyed it but it's nailed it back pretty good and worldwide it will probably cause recession and famine now the flu itself didn't do that the reaction of governments is what did that in other words the destruction is not a function of the flu itself it's a function of how government reacted and then the next thing we've got are riots and their goal is destruction of our history, destruction of our culture the business of pulling statues down and and all that kind of stuff. So what you've got is sort of a one-two punch that's happened this year. We've got economic destruction, and then we've got cultural destruction going on. One of the things that's happened here as a result of both of these things that's going on is the people of God have been sidelined. If you'll notice, nobody gets really upset about groups of rioters gathering, but they get really annoyed about groups of churchgoers gathering. There's a clue there. The other thing that's happening as we're looking at all this is we're looking at the government, and the government has designed, according to the Declaration of Independence, to preserve order, protect property, secure the blessings of liberty, all of those kinds of things. And what we see in many cases is government is on the side of the destruction. So government, if you will, is participating in this destruction. So lots and lots of people are starting to lose hope. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that's the wrong way to look at this. And I'm going to tell you why. So last week, those of you who are here, remember, we talked about Iraq which is the fear of God. I spent the whole hour talking about the fear of God and to remind you, there's a spectrum there. The word in Hebrew is Yorah, it's translated typically as fear in English and it literally can mean fear or terror it can also mean awe or respect and what we talked about last time was lots of people come to serve God out of fear English fear, not Hebrew fear. In other words, just turn or burn or you know words to that effect. If you don't get on God's side, it's going to really be bad for you. That's fear. And the idea is that you want to, over the course of your life, move out of serving God simply because you're afraid of Him and serve God because you are in awe of Him. That was sort of last week in 25 words or less so what I want to do is talk today about faith and trust and I may have mentioned to you last time that one of the sources I'm using is the Musar book we've got copies of that back there for those of you who are interested and don't have one it's excellent excellent it's not messianic it is straight Jewish but as far as understanding how to work on your character, if you will, it is superb. So some of what I'm taking is from him. <laughs> I was saying last time that one of the things that put me on to awe was that I had some place I had to be where I was sitting for an hour and I needed something to read. And I grabbed the Musar book just as I was going out the door and so that's what got me to read about Urah well I had the same thing going on this week that I had another hour to sit with nothing to do but read and I grabbed a different book and this one was by a Musar rabbi named Desler and it just so happened that the bookmark I'd stuck in there the last time I was reading it was on trust and faith so hit me three or four times, I catch right on I then went to the Musar book we had and read the same thing. So faith and trust. In English faith and trust are heavily related so when you say you have faith in something you very often mean trust okay? They're sort of interchangeable in English. In Hebrew they're not. They're very different words. So faith in Hebrew is what's called imunah and Uh, trust is called, and I'm not sure quite how to pronounce this since I don't have it in Hebrew, I've just got it in transliterated English, Bittishon, and we'll go with that for right now. For any Hebrew speakers out there, please forgive my pronunciation. Now, faith in the Hebrew sense, not in the English sense now, is first off belief that God exists. One of the things that the Musar people say, which I like very much, is, faith flows from awe not the other way around so as you come to fear God or be in awe of God from there faith flows and there are several things about our God that are very different than a pagan God and for those of you who have read pagan mythology and I, when I was a young kid I was just enamored about Greek mythology, Norse mythology. I spent a lot of time reading about pagan gods, and one of the things that is sort of a signature characteristic of a pagan god is that they're capricious. They're sort of like human jerks on steroids. Picture some jerk that you know, boy jerk or girl jerk, doesn't matter, and you can find a pagan god that does that kind of stuff. So you're walking along, minding your own business, and you step on somebody's sacred bush. And all of a sudden, he blights your sheep, and you got no idea what happened to you because you've just done something, and he's a jerk or she's a jerk, god or goddess. And they cause a war just out of pique and all that kind of stuff. Very, very capricious, very unpredictable. So the purpose of a pagan priest was to help you navigate through the minefield. Oh, you can't touch that, because if you touch that, something bad's going to happen. You can't do this. you can't eat that, whatever. So a pagan priest's job is to help you navigate this minefield, if you will, of super jerks. Different than Hebrew priest. So the first thing about our God is our God tells us that he's consistent and he will do what he says he will do and oh by the way he tells you what he's going to do now don't get me wrong our God is very powerful and we see in today's Torah portion he definitely can get annoyed with people so he gets annoyed with Moses because he smacks the rock instead of speaking to the rock and Moses who's led these people for 40 years in the desert put up with all that kind of junk that they've had all of a sudden he doesn't get to go into the land now I think that's pretty starchy Quite frankly, but God is consistent. He tells you what He's going to do. He tells you what to do, and if you do it, He rewards you. If you don't do it, He punishes you. Very straightforward. He's not capricious at all. So Moses had instructions. Moses got told, go out and talk to the rock. Moses has got a temper. He's a Levite. So Moses had it right about up to here with the Israelites and all their complaining. And so he loses his temper. And he turns around and wails on the rock with his stick. And God says, you didn't do what I told you to do. And when I tell you to do something, it's really important that you do it the way I say to do it. So there's consequences. Again, this is not capricious. It's stern. It's starchy. But it's not capricious. It's understandable. And what God tells us is that he has given us as much information about Him as we can absorb. Notice how I said that. I said that very carefully. This is the being that created the entire universe. It is simply not possible for us to completely understand Him. We don't have the bandwidth. You know, we got a limited amount of processing power in our little heads. But what he has told us is everything that he says we need to know about him and about his creation. So again, he is not capricious. He doesn't leave you to sort of wander through the heather and, oh my God, I stepped on some God's rock and I had no idea that it was a sacred rock. And now my wife just miscarried. I had no idea what happened. That's not our God. So the idea then is faith in God is, first off, believing that he exists and believing that he tells us about himself and he tells us the truth. That's what faith is. Trust is different. Trust is, I believe that this God has got my best interests at heart. So I will do the things that he says, even though I can't see what's going to happen. And in fact, it looks to me like this is probably not something I want to be involved in. But if he tells me to do it, I am going to believe that he has my best interests at heart. And this goes back to the fact that he has got a much bigger perspective than we do. So his perspective is the entire universe. His perspective is the entire span of time and creation. His perspective is eternity. And what looks to us as, Ooh, that's really dangerous, I don't want to do that, to him may be something that A, he wants done, and B, is to our ultimate good. That's what trust is. That you're going to do what he says to do, even though it appears to you as if it's something you don't want to do, either because of your selfish nature, your sinful nature, that's part of it, or because it looks dangerous. So faith and trust are two different things. Now, one of the things I've said in the past is everybody has faith. It's built into the operating system, just like reason is built into our operating system. God wired us. To have faith wired us to understand reason. Now, we don't always do it very well, but it's there. So people who don't have faith in God have faith. They have faith in something else. They just don't recognize that it's faith. And, of course, the little example that I use is faith is the thing that helps you exist in the time stream. The past is gone. You can't affect it. The future, you don't know. So all you've got is right now. The example I've used in the past is I look at that chair and I say if I step up on that chair it will support me. I have faith that the chair will support me. I don't actually know whether it will support me until I step up on it because that's at this point future. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. So faith is the mechanism that allows you to take action moving into the future that you cannot know until you're there and that's no longer future, it's the present. So, the fact is everybody has faith. We have faith in a God who has talked to us and told us as much as we need to know about the future. Big picture future, not necessarily small picture future. Now one of the things that I said last time, which is true, is We have the same problems as the people in biblical times had. For example, the Israelites were dealing with the sin of the spies, where the Israelites send spies into the land and they come back and they get panicked. The problem the Israelites have is they are living the events of the Bible and they have God talking to them directly. And as I'm saying, having God in the middle of your camp is like having a tiger and his chain is too long. So they have trouble trusting him. Even though they have experience where he destroyed the Egyptians, split the sea, gave them manna from heaven, all that kind of stuff. They still have trouble trusting him. Our problem is we have the book, which is the record of all of those things, but we don't have God in our face anymore different problem no easier than their problem because we're people just like they are so the problems that we have with faith are identical it's just in the case of the Israelites they don't have the advantage of seeing how the story plays out we don't have the advantage of the pillar of fire in the middle of the camp but it's the same problem do you believe in this God and are you going to trust him? It's exactly the same problem. Now, they don't have any problem with faith because they know God is there. They can see the pillar of fire. Their problem is trust. Is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? Can I really depend on him? Is there really going to be water tomorrow? Is there really going to be manna on the ground the next morning, or am I going to go hungry? Is he really going to go before us and kill all these hairy Philistines, or are they going to kill us because they look way bigger than we do? That's their problem. They have a problem of trust. Our problem is we have a problem of faith. Does he really exist? Does he really care about me? Is he really looking after me? How do we know? You see the difference in the problems, but people are people, have been people ever since the creation, and we all have essentially the same problem, whether it manifests itself as trust, in the case of the Israelites, or faith, in our case. Now, anybody heard the song Adon Olam? We sing it at Yom Kippur. Adon Olam Asher Malak, beterem Kol Yitzir Nevarah. Wonderful song, one of my very favorites. Adon Olam is usually translated as Master of the Universe and that's true. That's a good translation. But Olam is an interesting Hebrew word. It's certainly the word we use for the entire creation but it also means hidden and so what we have is a God who is hidden to some extent now in the early Bible he's right there in their face not so hidden in our case he is hidden and so the only way we know that he exists let's see what I can use an example submarines the navy plays a game of tag with enemy submarines There are ballistic missile submarines floating around in the ocean all over the place, and the job of the Navy is to keep track of them so that if we ever go to war, they can send attack subs and take them out. So you have attack subs and surface ships trying to find these submarines. You know they're out there, but you can't see them. But what you can see, if they're close to the surface, you can see a ripple on top of the surface if they're down deep you can often see a split in the photoplankton so you have this line where you have glowing plankton on both sides and you have this light. so you can't see the submarine but what you can do is you can see the effects of its passage and it's, it's a big art trying to find these things. In fact, there's, there's, there's a number of great books. Out. Anybody ever read The Hunt for Red October, for example? Yeah, that's exactly about that problem. How do we find this Russian submarine? Well, God's the same way. He's hidden. So what we do is we look for traces of his activity. Now, of course, we got the book. Big advantage to have the book. Has anybody ever had a prayer answered? I have. That's like a hump in the water. It's like a wake. And there's all sorts of things like that in our world. And what the book does is it tells us how to see them. Because to our friends who do not believe in God, prayer is a waste. of How many times have you seen it on the news? Quit sending your thoughts and prayers. That's a complete waste of time. What we need is whatever, gun control or whatever. So, to us, we see the results of prayer as being these indications that the hidden God is moving in our world and dealing with us. To the people who have no faith and no belief, it seems like a real waste of time. So, when we're talking about faith, you're talking about a hidden God. And you're talking about figuring out what he wants to do, first from the book, and then from the way that your life is going. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you, look at Genesis 1. Everything was created for us. We are the end of the creation process. So according to the book, which I believe, it was created for us. And what I'm suggesting to you is it's an extremely sensitive communication mechanism for God to talk to us, and he does it through many ways. And what we need to do is become sensitive to his voice. That's the whole point of faith. And then trust is we have to become aware or believe that since this whole thing was created for us, He has got our best interests at heart. So now, a couple of pieces of scripture. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, faith, and that he rewards those who seek him, trust this is written in Greek it's not written in Hebrew so I don't have the Hebrew words there but the concept is there you gotta first believe that he exists and then you gotta second believe that he will reward you for seeking him you can trust him Ecclesiastes chapter 3 I've seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with he has made everything beautiful in its time also he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end so when I said everybody has faith it's part of the operating system God has built it into us and those that don't have faith in God still have faith but one of the reasons they are so angry is because the things they have faith in don't work ultimately so he's put faith in our hearts our sense of eternity in our hearts but he has not given us all the information from beginning to end because we can't absorb it. Remember, I said we got a sort of a limited amount of processing power here. You can't understand everything that God is doing, has done, and will do. So, as you're going through life, especially in times like we're dealing with right now, it's very easy to lose hope because it looks like everything is against us. And by the way, it is. I've used this quote before. Chesty Puller was a Marine regimental commander in the Korean War. And he was in North Korea at the Chosin Reservoir. And he was surrounded by I don't know how many Chinese divisions. And he says, gentlemen, we're surrounded. The bastards won't get away this time. So, yes, we're surrounded. But understand they won't get away this time. And by the way, he proceeded with his regiment to wreck three or four Chinese divisions. So, it works. What I want to do is talk about point of view. Whose point of view controls here? Our point of view is, it's all about me. Things are not going well. This is really bad. God, it's terrible, and I can't stand it anymore. God, you've got to do something. It's all about me, my point of view from God's perspective it is not all about you his perspective is different his perspective is eternal so going back to our example of the Marine one of the things that happens when a Marine commander goes into combat is he is very likely going to lose some of his own troops they're going to be killed It's just the way of war now from the individual Marines point of view oh my gosh what am I gonna do? it's all about him and the idea of training is to get his perspective to shift so that it isn't just about him it is now about the unit and the mission which is the thing that causes the Marines to go forward and yeah they do lose some of them but they wind up as I say wrecking three or four Chinese divisions in the process which is from their perspective a good thing Chinese perspective it are so great So, from God's perspective, He is going to put you in situations which are just flat dangerous and which you might not physically survive. And that's where trust comes in. You trust that He has your ultimate best interest at heart. Now, I've said lots of times that this place is difficult and it's designed to be. Take, for example, patience. Everybody agree that patience is a good character trait? anybody that doesn't think patience is a good thing say so right now so patience is a good thing but the only way you develop patience is if you are put into situations that you don't like if you're never in a situation that you don't like you have no reason to develop patience so the fact that you're going through trials and tribulations and things are really grumpy sometimes as we are doing now as a nation doesn't mean that God doesn't love his people and that God isn't with us and God doesn't want us to succeed His perspective is different than our perspective my perspective I would never have let any of this happen this is terrible he's got some other perspective and he's got something else he's doing I don't know what it is but I trust him and then of course whose purpose whose perspective and whose purpose and again, we as individuals have our own purposes Has anybody heard the phrase man proposes God disposes the point is we all make our plans and that's good we should you wanna make plans you wanna have goals you wanna be doing things that's what you're designed to do but understand that you are in a creation that is made by God for his purposes and your purposes may get overridden. Let me give you an example. Read from Matthew 10:26. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, so everyone who acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace but a sword, it's the Messiah so what he's saying is everybody wants to live in peace, I certainly do but that isn't necessarily going to happen and when you are in a place where that is not happening, where it's not peaceful understand that he loves you And what he wants is your best interests, even though you may turn out to be a casualty. Not a happy message, but it's true. So, the final one is, who benefits? As I said, the world is made for us, and doing his will is to our ultimate benefit. Because remember, his perspective is very different than our perspective. My perspective is the next 20 minutes. Is it going to hurt? That's my perspective. His perspective is eternal. One of the things that was in the Musar book, which was a phrase I just really thought was charming. As we go through the world, one of the things that happens is our heart can develop calluses. Anybody got calluses on his heart? We all do. That's one of the results of going through the world. You can develop calluses on your heart. And what the Musar guy said, which I liked very much, is a sense of awe can remove the calluses on your heart. So when you see the things that God has done and you look at them as things that God has done as opposed to, oh, that's just a butterfly. Anybody have any idea why butterflies are beautiful? I mean, all they are is bugs that go around and suck stuff on plants. There isn't a real need for them to be beautiful, but they are and this butterfly's floating around and all of a sudden a robin goes it's gone anybody ever been trout fishing during a mayfly hatch mayflies are beautiful and basically all there is trout chow but they're beautiful so going through life with a sense of awe can help to break up the calluses on your heart I just really like that way of saying it so we started this last week with the fear of God and what we're going to end with this week is fear not and fear not in the context that Yeshua gave to us in Matthew 10 what Yeshua says is don't fear the things of this world fear God in the Greek it's the same word unfortunately but you understand what I'm saying as you go through this world be not afraid be not afraid to speak out Be not afraid to go rattle your government's cages. Those guys are breaking their oath of office. Remind them of that. Fear not to gather as brethren. Because together we worship and praise, and that's very powerful. Fear not. Fear God.